Hey there, writing cadets! Welcome back to the Moving Right Along podcast, the podcast by young writers for young writers. We're your hosts, Ruby, Ray, and Kat. Last episode, we talked about romance tropes and our thoughts on it, and we discovered Ruby and Ray have pretty much the same taste in tropes, and they're pretty much the same person. Today, we'll be continuing that theme with a super, super special guest. Drum roll, please. Oh, Everyone, oh. please watch. <laughs> Yeah, it don't really work for Drumwell, but uh, you know, we we live with what we've done. Um, everyone, please welcome the one and only Alison Saft. Alison, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Alison Saft, and I'm the author of Down Comes the Night and the upcoming A Far Wilder Magic. Uh, I write what I call eerie romantic fantasy, so books with uh, a little bit of spooky atmosphere and lots of yearning. And when I'm not writing, I spend my free time training to join the circus. Which I'm still shaking about. That is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, do a little bit of the, the aerial silks, so the, the fabric. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. My, my toxic trait is thinking I could do that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. We are very, very excited. And our last episode brought a lot of questions about romance tropes so we figured who better to have than the author of the one and only down comes the night which is amazing <laughs> yes and for those who don't know down comes the night is an award-winning gothic ya fantasy about a healer hired to cure her kingdom's sworn enemy from a mysterious disease we still love hers <laughs> by the way yeah, and we all love Down Comes the Night. We all enjoyed it so much. Um, Ren, the main character, honestly, I connected with so easily. Um, she's just so she's just so relatable in the best way possible. Uh, and I just love following her and following Hal. Oh, I love Hal. I love Hal as well. But we really, we all really enjoyed it. Ruby loves Hal. It was it was just like message after message, and we were like, okay, okay, we get it, Ruby. But yeah, it was it was really really amazing. Yeah, it was incredibly well written i honestly loved i'm not gonna spoil anything but i loved the way you wrote hal's character and the way he like warmed up to everything and the message of like forgiveness and every oh it was so perfect thank you (laughs) and you also have another book coming out soon jasmine and simone have both pre-ordered it already as soon as i get some money i will also do the same (laughs) um but what can you tell us about a far wilder magic uh, yeah, so A Far Wilder Magic is um, a 1920s inspired uh, fantasy romance um, about, I usually pitch it as two outcasts who team up to win a hunt for the last living mythical beast. Um, it's a very quiet, intimate story, kind of in the vein of Maggie Stiefvater's The Scorpio Races, a little bit of Full Metal Alchemist, and uh, it's got a sunshine grunt romance, one of my favorite tropes and uh, a Jewish protagonist. That sounds so good. Well, we're all very excited to read it. Um, but <laughs> we decide, we wanted to, while you're here, to get to know the characters of Down Comes the Night and of Far Wilder Magic a little better. We wanted to do a little fun game of who's most likely to, Allison Saft Character Edition. Yay. So, <laughs> for your first, and this is, of course, assuming that they lived in our world. Um, who is most likely to end up on a reality show? 
Oh, um, I, I feel like Hal, I could see him as like, I could see him as like the most awkward bachelor in history. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go yeah. with that. Oh my gosh, I love that. Instead of like eliminating them, he just kills them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Most awkward yeah. and deadly bachelor. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow, iconic. The, the best Vesrian television show. I love it. I'm writing it the epilogue. So, which of your characters do you think it's most likely to get scammed? Oh, um. <laughs> Probably Wes uh, from Far Wilder Magic. He's a very like, human embodiment of sunshine character who wants to believe the best of people. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> who is most likely to be a theater kid? Also Wes. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he has ambitions of being a politician and loves attention. So I, I say this as a former theater kid myself. <laughs> Connor. I agree. No, I love that. Um, who's most likely to be an influencer? Una. I think Una would run like a very cool Instagram. It would be a fitness one, I feel like. It, <laughs> she would absolutely be a fitness influencer. Oh my gosh, yes. Oh yeah, um, I, was, I was thinking in my head that like her theme song would just be like, you know, The Rock, it's about drama, it's about power. No. <laughs> like lifting weights to it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like a little thirst trap video. Oh my god, no, yeah. this is. <laughs> um, which of your characters do you think is most likely to accidentally poison someone with their terrible cooking? Ren, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> Love Ren for that. Ren would burn. Yeah. Again, I can relate. <laughs> uh, who is most likely to fake their own death? Ooh. Um, probably also Hal. I feel like he would be just be like, I need to... I mean, maybe after this disastrous reality television show, he's like, I need to <laughs> receive from <and> die. <laughs> yeah. Um, but definitely... Okay. <laughs> makes sense for the bachelor he just ends up with no one he just leaves <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like where's red he's like looking he's like i, I, I don't want to be this anymore <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so lovely okay so both of your books have a central romance and in lieu of our theme of the month we would love to hear about your romance writing journey so what drew you to writing romance oh uh that's a great question so I, I think probably I would chalk that up to my fandom background. Um, so I, I didn't really write much original fiction until I was an upperclassman in college. Um, I would say from ages like nine to 18, I was on a lot of role play forums. And I don't know if those still exist, which maybe is like uh, revealing my age a little bit. But <laughs> essentially, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, uh, usually these were like online communities inspired by fandom. So like every member of the fandom would pick a character to portray and then you would essentially like write a little collaborative story together. It was very fun. Um, and I wrote a little bit of fan fiction, but I mostly read it and still do. Um, and so I've always kind of carried that fan fiction sensibility with me into my writing. So 
um, deep focus on character, uh, mostly on the romantic leads, lots of drawn out intimate moments, a very loose sense of plot sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I would say that's what drew me to romance. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Um, I mean, I used to do Percy Jackson role play, so <laughs> I was always I was always like the equivalent of Annabeth, but like you weren't allowed to be Annabeth because like she was canon. So I was always I was always basically the fake Annabeth. It was a really well, good you time. always tried to make characters, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I pretty much stole her whole entire personality, so it was a really good time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but another thing that has actually been brought up somehow more frequently this season has been the topic of enemies to lovers over our little pod squad group. We talk about it a lot. Um, we, what we've talked about is kind of how sometimes enemies to lovers can take a sort of toxic turn to it, where it's just like, oh, they like actually like really just like hate each other. Um, and I will say, I think Down Comes the Night is an excellent example of an enemies to lovers, um, just where it's like their environments forcing them to be enemies as opposed to like their actual like feelings towards one another um so we wanted to ask what are your thoughts on the enemies to lovers tropes as somebody who's written and published like a really good enemies lovers oh thanks um no that's an interesting question um i mean as everyone here might expect i love enemies to lovers um i think that there's so much like delicious built-in tension um and they have like a really nice arc that you can follow like that you know, reluctant allies to like maybe friends, and then as they open up to each other, like the the blossoming into love, where you have to reckon with your own perceptions and your worst impulses. Like, there's just something so romantic about like loving, giving. You know, when they potentially hurt you, but um, I also I feel yeah, I feel that. I mean, definitely some enemies to lovers romances can be like a little bit toxic. At the same time, like, part of me wants to offer, like, I guess it depends a little bit on the genre and the genre conventions. Like, The Cruel Prince, for example, I guess is, like, I think a great enemy of lovers romance. Um, but because they're, like, in this cutthroat fairy world, like, how to put it? I guess that, like, if you remove the characters from that setting, they would be so awful. But I feel like... Mm -hmm. Like in real life, if we were to see Jude and Cardin, we'd be like, these are really bad people. <laughs> but like within the context, like, hmm. But within the context of that world, I feel like it still works, especially because neither Jude nor Cardin, like both of them are equally terrible and both of them have like an equal amount of power in the relationship. I feel like where it starts to get dicey for me is like, I don't know. It's usually when the dude is like this like giant hulking monster and he's just like, I'm so evil and like you're just a powerless little girl and i'm like oh my god guys um you don't see that one too often but yeah that's i guess that's where i'll, where I'll offer my thoughts on uh, on enemies to lovers yeah definitely i think i think it's when you get that like really imbalanced power dynamic that it just starts to go a bit like whoa okay <laughs> maybe step back a bit um so do you think uh, like sort of leading off of that topic do you think romance writing can edge into a toxic or dangerous influence for young readers how did you work to create healthy romances say between sworn enemies who'd like nothing more than to kill each other for young readers yeah that's it's an interesting question and i think it's kind of complicated um it's not like the question is kind of like do i think you know dark romance can warp young people's expectations of what love is 
supposed to be like. And I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I think it depends on the reader, obviously. Like some people have different limitations on what they can handle. Some people are going to internalize things more than others. Um, in my experience, I feel like people are generally pretty good at distinguishing what they like to read versus what they would tolerate in real life. I mean, for example, The Cruel Prince, like I don't think very many young readers would be like, I just think it's so romantic when my love interest like bullies me viciously in front of all of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like on the other side, it's just like sometimes toxic relationships can be really um, thematically interesting. Like, I don't know y'all's, I don't know where y'all fall on the, uh, the, the Darkling and Alina. Um, cause you know, I, I feel like their relationships are thematically interesting because like the Darkling is clearly a groomer and a manipulator and like his whole goal through the entire series is to like systematically isolate her until like, what is the line you have no shelter, but mine. Um, but he's also like really alluring and complicated and like wounded. And I think that's what makes him a great character and why so many people ship a lurkling or whatever they call it, even though like he's a pretty unambiguously bad dude. Um, he makes me laugh too. He's very dramatic, but um, <laughs> this is just like a very roundabout way of me saying like, I don't necessarily, I mean, to answer your question about how I approached it, I don't know if I necessarily see my role as an author of, um, modeling healthy relationships necessarily um i think my responsibility is to lead young readers into difficult topics and thorny relationships with care and to give them the tools and the language to contextualize and form their own judgments about what they're reading so with ren and hal um I, Similar to what I was just talking about, I wanted to make sure that neither of them had the moral high ground or more power over one another. Like, even though Hal has his uh, deadly magic eyeballs, uh, he's also just like sickly Victorian lad who, like, a strong breeze would blow him over and he needs to be fed soup. Um, <laughs> so, I, I just like really wanted to emphasize, like, he. Like, he, he can't really hurt her any more than she can hurt him. And um, I think there's just something uh, unbearably intimate about being forced to literally take care of someone who spies. So that's how I approach the romance with those two. That is a very cool look to have on that. Um, but, <laughs> excuse me, uh, adding on to the, the idea of making these healthy bonds... We want to talk a little bit about platonic bonds. So your characters, Ren and Una, start out with this sort of complicated bond that morphs into, like, this beautiful friendship. And we want to know, how was writing that friendship, and why do you think it was important to express it? Ooh, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Their relationship was one of my favorites in the books to write, and it was, I think, also one of the most difficult, just because they have so much history and they hurt each other a lot throughout the book. Um, but what was important to me to depict is I was um, I was really interested in, like, you know those friendships you form with people at certain points in your life where you're kind of in a bad, like, both of you are in a bad place and and you, you bond over that. And then when you kind of come out of it, you look at and you're feeling more stable and you look at each other and you're like, who, like, who are you? I don't really recognize you anymore and so so much of that friendship arc uh, i mean kind of a exes to enemies to friends arc was 
about both of them refusing to see each other clearly and give each other what they need. Like at the beginning of the book, both of them very much want the other to be something that they're not. And I didn't see a ton of friend breakups in YA fantasy in particular. And I went through so many of those in years. Um, so it felt right to kind of offer that experience to my readers. And um, I guess lastly, from a craft perspective, I feel like Una is kind of the embodiment of the emotional stakes. Like she represents everything Ren has wanted and has to kind of leave behind when she accepts the mysterious summon to uh, Colwick Hall. Yes. No, I loved the progression of Ren and Una's relationship. It was just like really like nice. We're like in the end, you're like, oh, that was so cute. Um, but speaking of platonic bonds, um, which LYA for the most part has relied very heavily on the romance kind of bond, um, which, you know, isn't as realistic because in our daily lives, we have lots of different relationships. Uh, why do you think seeing different types of relationships is really important for young people? Yeah, uh, that is so fair and true. And it's been like that for a really long time. I feel like like when I was reading YA when I was a teen, it was the heyday of paranormal romance. You know, it's still kind of continued that YA is super romance driven. And I think that's partly a result of how authors and readers talk about books online. Um, like so much buzz is generated around like romance tropes, like, oh, you like enemies to lovers, like you love like uh, the forced proximity, like read my book, add it on Goodreads. And like, I've totally been that too. Um, but I, I think what's so important to your point about depicting different kinds of relationships is the way we talk about romance uh, can be very limiting and even alienating, I think, to a lot of readers and even authors who aren't don't gravitate to romance um i think there are a lot of books out there without romance but they just don't get the same kind of online buzz uh, or fanish devotion as the ones that do so i think people read for all sorts of reasons and i think it's pretty crucial that all types of readers are able to find the kind of books that they need and seeing that full spectrum of what people experience from friendship breakups to like found family friend groups to everlasting love to divorce to familial abuse to sibling bickering like all of this stuff is so crucial for people to see and be able to like contextualize their own experiences um i think just seeing all types of bonds helps us understand ourselves and each other a little bit better yeah i think i think we should start making um like friendship tropes a big thing like the Aww. friend who bullies the other friend, <laughs> which is me and Ruby. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we've kind of we've already kind of said that already. Um, do you think writing healthy platonic bonds are as important as writing romance? Yeah, totally. I mean, I I think all types are equally important to depict, and kind of what I would say too is like part of me feels like writing unhealthy bonds is also kind of important to me as an author um because in, in a farewell their magic um one of the protagonists wes comes from he's one of five siblings um which was so much fun to write um and while they're super loving they have their problems and their you know sibling spats but um his family is a pretty sharp contrast to the other protagonists Margaret, um, particularly 
particularly Margaret and her mom, Evelyn. Um, so part of what I was really interested in in this book was uh, overcoming abuse. So Margaret is a, a survivor of neglect. And um, one of the most emotional moments of the book is this confrontation between Margaret and her mom. Uh, I'll avoid getting too spoilery, but essentially Margaret kind of outlines everything that she's experienced, all her feelings to her mom, and um, and she's rejected. And that scene really sucked <laughs> to write. Um, but sometimes I feel like it can be hard to recognize that what you're experiencing isn't normal until you see somebody else going through it. Like, we as people are so reticent to offer ourselves kind of empathy and like outrage. Uh, we don't give that to ourselves, but we give that to our friends, what we care about. Um, we can be like so cruel to ourselves and explain away our own pain. But when we recognize ourselves and somebody else and we feel angry about that, like we can start to process it and give it a name. Um, so for me, that's kind of like the reader writing, like showing them this full range, healthy and unhealthy. Like I'm trying to reach out to my reader and say, like, I know what you've been through and like, it's not acceptable and things can be better. So I think that was really important to juxtapose those like healthy and unhealthy platonic bonds. Yeah, I think that's a really good point you made. I mean, especially with the whole, um, unhealthy family relationships. I mean, there's there's so many young people who read YA who experience that. And I think I totally agree. It's really important to um, show that in your writing because when you read it, you can start processing it. And that's, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, <laughs> that's, sorry, I don't have a word for that. I just, no, I, I feel yeah. that, yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Okay, so what was your process in building these relationships for your characters? And was there something that drew you to these certain tropes, like the love triangle, the enemies to lovers, the one bed trope, etc.? Oh, yeah. I mean, with tropes, I feel like, uh, particularly with my first drafts, I'm always just writing to entertain my So it's like anything that makes me happy, it's going to go in there. So Down Comes Tonight was very much a book I wrote when I had fallen out of writing. And so when I started the first draft, I was like, I'm just going to be wildly self-indulgent and put everything I love. Enemies, lovers, yes. Snowed in at the inn. Oh yeah, like one bed, it's all going in there. And no one made me cut it, which was really surprising and makes me so happy. Um, so yeah, I mean, readers love tropes too. Um, but as for building the relationships, that's a, a great question. So. Um, my books usually come to me um, like the spark of the idea with the romantic leads. Um, so I usually want to figure out what they're like and what their dynamic is. Uh, so with Down Comes the Night, I knew Ren was like a little bit prickly and super emotional and Hal was like the brooding, <laughs> tortured uh, love interest that we all love so much. Um, and I knew they were enemies. So um, then the question becomes, how do I make these people fall in love? And for Ren and Hal, not only were those tropes that I love, they were also like tropes that fall under the umbrella of forced proximity. So how could I force them to spend time together and uh, be more vulnerable? Um, and then, oh, I guess the only other thing I'll offer um, for any of the writers out there, there's a 
great blog uh, called Helping Writers Become Authors by K.M. Wyland. And one of the coolest things I learned from her um, was how to plan character arcs. And her theory of them is that every character has a lie uh, that they believe, which is essentially some fundamental misconception they have about themselves or the world. And by the end of the story, they should learn truth, which is, I guess what it sounds like, the the opposite of the lie, like the thing, the lesson they need to learn. And so with writing romance, I like to try to make parallel so that each character helps the other one start to learn the truth. So Ren and Hal both are super emotionally, uh, or they've, they've come to believe that emotions make them weak. And throughout the story, they kind of teach each other that that is absolutely not the case. And emotions are the things that make us strongest, etc. So... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask a quick question that's not on the script? You talk yes. about planning. Are you a plotter or are you a pantser? Yeah. I'm a disastrous plotter. I try so hard. I make these extensive outlines. And do I follow them? Yes. Do they come out good in execution? No. So why do I keep doing it? I don't know. But it does. it does help me. I, I like to I do it scene by scene, so I always know where I'm going. So I have to revise a lot, but yes, I do. I do plot. Yes. Okay. I love that. Betrayal. Just <laughs> all three of us. So I'm a plotter. So in you, yeah. Um, and then Cat is a pantser and Ray's a planter. So like in between. So our first uh, episode was literally <laughs> us fighting. Our first episode was literally us fighting about what was the best method. We came to the conclusion that your best method is whatever method works for you. But, you know, yeah, that was the happy friendship finale. But, you know, we're, we're liars. We still fight about it. Um, so that, just for a little context for the controversy of that question. And my victorious, like, yes! <laughs> yes, victory for the plotters. Yes, for us, for us. Yeah, could pants a novel like y'all are built different like what like I don't even know what I would confronted with the blank page like mm. it would just they would just be I don't even know they'd be walking around looking at trees for 500 pages <laughs> oh. that's, that's what happens in my drafts nothing <laughs> it's a lot of confusion and that's so valid <laughs> I tried pantsing no. a novel for um nano this last year last year oh, in 2021 yeah. um but it did not go well. It did not go well. <laughs> no, I think I might die if I tried to pants, but maybe one of these days I'll try it, see how it goes. I don't think it's going to work at all, but <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I love everything that you said about, like, just the what about how you build your relationships. It's just, like, really cool. I also love the K.M. Wyland blog. That's a really good blog. <laughs> I read it. It's good. Yeah. So I've been reading her stuff for years. It's so helpful. So I love that you recommended that. Um, and we also love that they let you keep those tropes in. We love it. Oh my yes. gosh. I when I when we get when they got to the end, I was like, one bed, one bed, one bed. <laughs> I was so excited. I was so excited. Um, but what would you like to see more of in romance writing and platonic relationships as well? Just like in relationships in especially YA, what do you think there needs to be more of? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I was thinking about this and 
So this is adult, but I recently read A River Enchanted by Rebecca Ross, which is lovely. Um, so if you like her YA novels, uh, she wrote, oh my gosh, Dreams Lie Beneath, I think is her most recent release. But um, in any case, in uh, A River Enchanted, there are two characters who are married, and um, but their marriage is a little uh, not great. So over the course of the book, they kind of reconnect and re-fall in love with each other. And I thought that was just so sweet. Um, and I don't think you really see, I mean, it, even in YA, like you don't see a lot of established relationships, like characters who are already dating, uh, or what have you at the beginning of the book. So I think it would be cool to see more romance that kind of, especially in fantasy, which is mostly what I read that kind of explore, um, like a, a relationship where that baseline trust and knowledge of each other is already there as opposed to like characters dating for the time. Um, yeah, uh, that's what I would love to see in romance. In terms of platonic, um, I mean, I always love giant families. As uh, someone who grew up, uh, my mom was seven, so always lost cousins and uh, <laughs> aunts and uncles and uh, like so many people. Oh my god! Uh, and of course, chaotic friend groups are always welcome. So we are a chaotic friend group. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's great. <laughs> so, on the flip side of that question, what irks you in romance writing? Do you have any pet peeves that when you read it, you're like, nope, I'm getting out of here? Not really. I like, there are some tropes I don't like as much as others, but I feel like I'm always open to like, there being a story that will convince me like in general i don't go in for second chance romance but i feel like these violent delights is almost like a second chance romance in some ways um i haven't read these uh our violent ends yet because I'm too scared so i don't know maybe i'll be wrong about <laughs> that but yeah nothing in particular that like i is like no absolutely not um things that there are things that i find funny like um i don't read a ton of like straight up rom-coms or romance novels but um there was a tweet i saw the other day that was just so true um people got very upset at him but that's a different conversation but uh he was just observing the trend lately of like romance heroes being like i guess it's just because everybody loves adam driver like so that the love interest who's just like seven feet tall and just like built like a fridge and like we're just like he's so tall he's huge like i can't believe how huge this man is and I'm like, so funny i love it but yeah that's not <laughs> oh, oh goodness <laughs> no isn't the love hypothesis like literally yeah, uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah that's what immediately came to mind i was like oh love hypothesis yeah 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 uh, Okay, so on the flip side, do you have a favorite trope or maybe a trope you're scared to write in? Ooh, um, I think my favorite trope is always some variation of like mutual obliviousness and mutual pining. Like each character like is completely in love with the other one, but they surely don't feel the same way. Um, for when I'm scared of writing, I feel like I would love to write like a really epic in scope, like lovers to enemies, back to lovers 
But I'm so tender hearted and soft. I don't know if I could actually lovers to enemies part. Like it would it would hurt me too much. Um I think I think it would be really cool. Honestly, same. I feel like I would write it I would make them too nice to each other. They'd be like, they're not even enemies. They're just like friends. (laughs) (laughs) Or a little bit rude to each other every now and again. You know, I don't think I'm ready for the Chloe Gong. Like they're literally stabbing each other level. (laughs) I don't think I'd do it right. Yes, she hurts so much, but so yeah, I admire her. Romeo and Juliet. She's so cool. Yeah. Um, But we also heard that you received a master's degree in English literature, which that's awesome. Uh, But we wanted to ask: Are there any benefits that you feel like it's provided you in your writing, and are there any drawbacks you feel it's provided? Um, not really in terms of like my writing. Uh, I feel like they're very different skill sets. Like the, we read just a lot of continental philosophy and literary criticism, um, which is really cool. And I read a bunch of novels that I wouldn't have read otherwise that gave me some sparks for ideas, um, like The Triplicate Goddess and Down Comes the Night, inspired by some of the literary criticism. Had read about um, a Eudora Welty short story called uh, Moon Lake, but other than that, the drawbacks uh, a lot of debt. <laughs> That's the drawback <laughs> of a degree. Uh, but you know, it was a really nice time to hang out with a bunch of cool people in New Orleans, um, so I don't regret it at all. I feel I like we should that. point out that cats in university right now. <laughs> I know. Literally yeah. cry. But to be fair, I'm in the UK university, so I don't have as much debt as you guys do. So. Okay, well, that's still, <laughs> still a little tear just trickled out. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, too real for this Saturday morning. <laughs> okay, before I start crying, um, your new book is another fantasy with Jewish representation. How is that writing for you? And what would you like to see more of in terms of Jewish representation? Oh, great question. Um, writing it was really great. It was um, it was also hard and vulnerable in ways I wasn't really expecting. Um, a lot of Margaret's uh, experiences reflect mine, um, and I still struggle with that worry. I feel like author who's marginalized shares like, am I enough? Uh, you know, to write this particular story, um, but. I think we can never hope to capture the whole experience, just our particular entry point into it. Um, so Margaret, for for me, I was really interested in capturing that sense of dislocation. So Margaret experiences anti but she's kind of lost touch with the Jewish side of her family, uh, which would have connected to her, connected her to community and faith, and its traditions. Um, so writing this book was digging pretty deep into like those feelings of isolation and long. Um, but also on the more positive side, this quest to understand like herself and the world. And that's kind of what felt most true to me as a Jew is we're always, we always want to learn more about Judaism. Um, it's as a diaspora group. It's so hard to feel that sense of dislocation. Um, and I, I hope it resonates with readers. Uh, in terms of what I would like to see more of, 
um, Jewish fantasy of all kinds. Uh, Jews of color, secular Jews, observant Jews, um, groups other than Ashkenazi Jews. That would be awesome. Because um, the first time I saw a Jew of any kind of fantasy that wasn't like a goblin or some other like, stereotype that fantasy writers don't really realize that they're perpetuating, uh, was Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik, which is all-time favorite books. If you have not read it, I would highly recommend it. Um, and then later with Ava Reed's The Wolf and the Woodsman, which has a patrilineal um, protagonist. Uh, but that's also absolutely wonderful. And Ava is a friend of mine. Um, but yeah, we are seeing a little burst of Jewish fantasy. Like this year in particular, we've got Rebecca Potos's like From Dust to Flame, um, Aiden Pollock's Bone Weaver, um, Kaylin Josephson's This Dark Descent. So we're in a little, a little golden era and I'm really excited to continue to it yeah i think that's a really important point you made that no one experience fits everyone's experience you know it's not a one-size-fits-all thing but speaking of representation down comes the night is also known for having a lot of lgbtq representation so we want to know how is that process and what would you like to see more of in terms of that rep Ooh, um ren on the other hand felt a little bit more natural to write because I I'd kind of Margaret was the first Jewish protagonist I'd written, whereas Ren, like the books that we do not speak of before Down Comes the Night that I never revise, uh, those were all FF. Um, so I was definitely uh, more comfortable with writing sapphic protagonists. Um, and Ren is very much a character I wrote for myself at 15. Um, so I think baby Allison would have really liked to see a bi protagonist who's like comfortable with her sexuality and uh, loved and accepted unconditionally. Um, in terms of rep, uh, I mean, I, I feel like there's just so many wonderful, brilliant, exciting queer books out there right now uh, that have a wide range of experiences. And um, there's also a lot of bloggers and uh, other bookish creators who are doing work to kind of hype up these books. Like Reads Rainbow is one of my absolute favorite blogs. Y'all should check them out. If if you haven't, um, they've like come out with these lists that are like hundreds of books, long, all of the queer books coming out this year. So I think really for me, like my greatest wish is that publishers keep supporting these books because um, you know, uh, some publishers do a better job than others promoting uh, sure that, <laughs> you know, these get in front of readers and that readers keep. Yeah, there's so much good stuff out there. And yeah. I love Reads of Rainbow. It is such a good blog. Yeah. It's so good. I love it. Um, but in general, what advice would you give to aspiring writers, romance or otherwise? I think my biggest piece of advice for any writer is really just to pursue what brings you joy. Uh, I've gone through periods where I've been super burnt out and down on my work. And the thing that has always brought me back is just leaning into the purely self-indulgent things, right? Um, staying true to your vision. I, I think passion always shines through. That's a great message and one that the podcast definitely agrees with. As we have had episodes talking about why it's just really important to just write what you like, not what you think the market would like or what you think other people are going to read. As we close, we'd love to know more about the A Far Wilder Magic pre-order campaign. What can you tell us about the opportunities listeners have right now if they buy a copy? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, so A Far Wilder Magic is coming out in the US and the UK. Um, so you can order either hardback and any other variety, book, audiobook, etc. And the UK has a paperback coming out. Um, so if you buy any of those editions, submit your receipt to me. Uh, all the details are on site, Alex. And uh, if you submit your receipt, I will send you uh, three tarot cards. Uh, they are very lovely. I have them on my shelf. Probably can't see them though. Um, and then a signed book plate, which um, the artist hand carved and then like stamped and then scanned it in. It's very beautiful. Um, and then if you order from my local indie bookstore, Kepler's Books and Magazines, you will get all of that plus an exclusive print. And I will sign your book and I can personalize it with whatever you'd like, uh, including doodles. But I really am not an artist, so I make no promise as to the quality of the doodle. I'm going to request a doodle now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but pre-ordering is something, obviously, that authors talk about a lot. So we thought it would be great if you could explain quickly why pre-ordering is important for authors and especially debut authors. Yeah, um, yeah, especially for debuts. There, there's so many reasons to pre-order, especially now in our pandemic times. A lot of people are moving uh, their book buying online instead of browsing. So if you pre-order books, it is very good for the algorithm on retail sites, Amazon, Book Depository, any any of these. The the more pre-orders a book gets, the higher it can appear on the algorithm show it to readers so by pre-ordering a book you are allowing it to get in front of more people and if enough people pre-order sometimes that can cause retailers to increase their orders some indie bookstores might not order an author's book at all until somebody pre-orders from that store and then they might be like oh there, there's interest for this i should stock it on the shelf um and sometimes publishers will even bump their marketing report if there's enough early interest from readers so uh, pre-ordering is definitely one of the best things you can do to support authors um, and ensure that they can keep writing books. Yeah, pre-ordering is definitely that kind of snowball effect, and it can get literally hundreds of books requested and printed before it ever hits the shelves. So you should definitely go pre-order Far Wilder Magic. I probably will once I can talk to my mom and get her money. Um, I'm kidding. I love you, mom. I'm sorry. That's a scary. <laughs> And once I can talk to myself <laughs> and uh, convince myself to stop buying grain, then uni is tough. Uni is tough. Um, especially now that book tours are less frequent and more advertising is done virtually, it is increasingly more important to support authors, whether that be through posting about books you like on your writergram. We all have one here, right, guys? Um, <laughs> and um, following writers on social media, requesting a copy at your local library, or buying their book before the release date so go on guys support your author support Alison she's great she's on this podcast it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> and right, where right. can our listeners find you on social media oh um I am at Alison H Saft on Twitter Instagram Pinterest and uh, on TikTok but I do not post anything I just look at me <laughs> but I'm there <laughs> 
know what? Same. <laughs> well, Allison, this has just been an absolute pleasure. We're so grateful that you've come on and just talked to us and honestly given us so much of your wonderful knowledge. I feel like I've learned a lot um, and I'm sure all our listeners have as well. So thank you. This has been wonderful. Um, yeah, but I'm stealing Ray's line today. Until next time, writing cadets, we'll see you on our next adventure. <laughs> That's it! That's a wrap! Yes, thank you guys. Thank you for listening to the Moving Ride Along podcast made possible by the Young Riders Initiative. You can follow us on Instagram at Moving Ride Along Podcast or find us on TYWI.org. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thank you to our team, without whom this wouldn't be possible. Our grump, Simone, our sunshine, Jasmine, and our enemies to lovers, Cassette. All music is by Kevin McLeod at filmmusic.io. Today you heard Beauty Flow. And all sound effects are from the Freesound Project.